coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. And so oh, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> so you said the research said that women are so much smarter than men. Not smart. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. So yes, the research is correct. I, I heard smarter. I didn't hear after that. I didn't hear any other <laughs> And and I. I I, I just got to go next door and talk to my wife, and I know she's smarter than me, so. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any the, black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you saying thank you for such a blessed opportunity that we had this past weekend when we celebrated Thanksgiving and we had family and friends. We had family member gods from 101 years old to one and a half years old from just up down to the sides and just laughter. And we were able to get together again as a family and just to hug each other and kiss each other and reminisce with each other and just remember each other and just the whole leadership. And God, thank you for blessing me and Bev, just our marriage over 37 years. And now we can sit down and we're not the little kids on grandma's porch anymore. We're more into in the middle, God, this whole thing about family and life. And now we're in the middle. Now we are not our children um, scrambling around talking about what they want for Christmas, but now it's our grandchildren. And we just continue to see this thing called life just keep turning, God. And knowing that one day it's just, just new faces and new places, empty chairs, empty spaces, God. So God, while we are here, just continue to help us understand what it's about, understand legacy, understand family, understand leadership, and just understand love for one another. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dearly Father, just uh, thank you for uh, this holiday season as we get ready to celebrate your birth. Uh, Lord, uh, let us not be uh, energized too much by the hustle and bustle, but reflect on the meaning of Christmas. And uh, Lord, I, I thank you for bringing some very, very interesting folks into my life. Today, we have uh, Chastie McReynolds. She's uh, a wonderful friend that I met through scouting. And uh, I just thank you for bringing her into my life and, uh, and for scouting. Watch over our family, keep them safe as they travel about for the holidays. And uh, Lord, uh, uh, bless my daughter and my wife. Uh, my wife donated a kidney last two Decembers ago, and it sounds like my, my daughter might be doing the same. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together today and to explore the topic of common ground. And conversations like these make us better people. It opens up our perceptions, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for um, the Boy Scouts of America and what we do for the youth of America. Thank you for blessing my family and all the families and friends that uh, I get to be with every single day. I know you put people in our lives for a purpose, and I pray that we open our eyes to that purpose and uh, stay true to your meaning. It's in your name in which we pray. Amen. Amen. Phil, how are you doing, my I'm friend? I'm doing fine. Did you get that text from John Wilson today? I got the text where he killed that big old buck, and he said it's Odell's buck. And for those who have listened for some time, they understand the fact that Odell missed this 
well, I don't want to say I missed it. It was a beautiful trophy buck that was sitting there looking at me smiling. And I already had the Facebook post ready for it. And I shot the buck and the buck just kind of sort of walked away. Yeah, you wounded it. And we chased <laughs> it for about two hours up and down the mountains. And uh, that is your buck. Did you see the wound on its uh, neck? No, I didn't see the wound. No, on I'm its making neck, that up. I I just go making that. <laughs> well, how was how was your holiday? Let me let me tell you about mine, Bill. Man, we had a great time. We went down to South Carolina, you know, Geechee's and all that good gullah stuff. And I was able to have uh, some family fly in from New York to Greensboro. And we went from Greensboro and we drove from Greensboro to Charleston, South Carolina. Well, Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Mm-hmm down the old dirt roads in the country. Mm. And we had family and friends from all over come. And, you know, of course we had the whole COVID protocol thing, which kind of got in the way a little bit. And I'll share that with you, but we had a great time. I mean, we had a hundred one year old, great, great, great grandmother sitting there and allowing a one and a half year old in her lap. And then later on, we went down to my house in Charleston to see my mother. And of course, on Black Friday, we went down to Charleston, South Carolina, King Street shopping and just had a good time. And the only instance we had incident we had was we had, you know, you out in the country, people just see you and stop and just come in. Well, this one young lady came in, a distant cousin, and it, it kind of caught me off guard. She came in, Bill, and she was like, hi, Dale. And all I saw was a mouth without a mask on. Someone I didn't know. I know, Bill. I know, I know, I know. And so I kind of jumped into protective mode. I was nice. I was kind. I was Christian-like. But I went to the folks in the living room because we were in the back room. And I went in the living room and said, did you all ask her if she was vaccinated or not? And see that that's complicated because that's kind of the icky, sticky, uncomfortable thing. But I don't think this is as uncomfortable as being on a ventilator. So I, I went and asked a question to the person. She said, yes, I've been vaccinated. You know, I'm a healthcare worker, da, da, da. And we just moved on. How dare we mm-hmm. moved on? But that's the type of things that we're having to navigate when family get together right now, that whole COVID, mm-hmm. the, the, What's the second one? Now we have the third one or Omni something. Yeah. Omni something. And we're not making audience. We're not making fun of Omni or anything like that. We're not saying that what we're saying that it's an additional challenge to get with loved one and friends. And we understand it. So how was your holiday? How how was Perma? I know you go to Ohio every time you went to Perma. And by the way, Bill, are any black people living in Perma now? Not yet. yet. I think we have a few now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, my brother's correcting me. So, you know, we do have some. I said, can we go visit them? I'd like to see. Where they live. <laughs> and uh, the uh, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the uh, vaccine. I was at hunt camp this weekend and there, there's some people don't want to be vaccinated, but they okay. went and got it and they were complaining. And and, and I just reflected on uh, and I have some family members that are like, you got to be vaccinated or don't even show up in Cleveland. Wow. And uh, and uh, so. I started reflecting on that and thinking about uh, I'm vaccinated and I, I'm going to get the booster when I'm eligible. But the uh, as I talked to those folks, I realized that if I took the opposite position, there'd be a confrontation. Yeah. And, and I don't want a confrontation. Yeah. But it occurred to me that as I thought, th- thought it through, I know people that have died from COVID. Mm. I don't know anybody that's died from the shot. I know some wow. people might have gotten sick. Then uh, he said, "Well, it's the long-term effect." You know, I said, "Well, look at—it's if it's going to make your hair fall out, I'm already there." You know, <laughs> and uh, but you know, it, and so there may be some long-term effects. Who knows? Uh, but I do know that people die from COVID, and they don't die from probably some have died from the shot, but not a lot. Uh, so, in, in looking at it, we're going to have COVID with us or some variant the rest of our lives. Kind of like the flu in a way. Yeah, but yeah. it's but it's a deadly thing. Yeah, and hopefully the strains become less deadly as they uh, mutate. But I, I'm not a doc, so I don't know. But uh, I'm going to get the shots, and uh, I don't get the flu shot, uh, but I do. I am going to get the COVID shots. Well, you know, it's interesting. So around our table, we had you know black folk. You know, we had um, cornbread, we had greens, we had. Um, green beans. Did you gain any weight up. while you're down? Man, there? listen, we don't even want to talk about <laughs> what I gained and nothing like that. I gotta get Macaroni and cheese and yams and <laughs> oh, oh my, my God, tur- ham and turkey and 
desserts and bill we just loved on each other mm. and i think that that loving on each other was so important and no one argued about politics no one argued about the vaccine i just think we were just so happy to be with each other again so how was it? i know you all do a big thing in ohio i know it's yeah, about what 50 christmas. of you all christmas get, oh christmas. christmas okay not thanksgiving it's no. christmas so how's the whole christmas well, thing coming? i'm the oldest of eight and i had 66 first cousins whoa 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 whoa, whoa 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 66 first cousins. So, so perma, when the Bible said, be fruitful and multiply these gobos, y'all took that to heart. Man, I'll tell you what, we were Catholic and the Pope loved us. (laughs) I was with one of my Franciscan priests that was coming over from my graduation. I met him at the street and he was walking up the steps and he saw all these kids running around and he leaned over to the other priests and he goes, I love this family. There you go. uh, So we've got all these cousins. So what we do, it's impossible to try and visit everybody. So we set a schedule up. One night is bowling night. One night is Italian food night. One night is a movie night. Why Italian food, Bill? Uh, because we eat all the other stuff on Christmas Eve. <laughs> okay. Got it. Okay. 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 And, uh, and, and so then uh, we, we do uh movie night one night and we all go to a movie and another night we do poker and we have two or three poker games going on and, you know, nickel dime quarter, just fun time and just great fellowship. Well, let me ask a question. Uh, just, I, since I know my good friend who I love dearly in the poker night, is there anything like adult beverages or uh, cigars, anything like that? Yeah, there's all over the place. <laughs> okay. There's a smoking room. Okay. <laughs> and there's the other room. And, uh, and we've taught the kids how to, you know, it's when you're playing poker, you don't want to get up every four or five minutes and get, get a drink or whatever. So the kids have learned how to serve. Us. <laughs> you know what? You know what? <laughs> I'm not going that route. But you know, when you start thinking about teaching and leadership and family, you know, a lot of times we are leaders in communities, whether it's business, corporate America, we're leaders in churches, faith communities, we're leaders in all these nonprofits everywhere. But how about the family? How do we teach the next person to be the leader of the family. Because as I was stating earlier, I found myself and my wife in the point that at 61, we're making sure that people come home for Christmas. We're making sure that people come to grandmother's house. We're not threatening our kids, but we're saying, listen, we really need you to come. I had to tell my youngest, my oldest son, I said, listen, your daughter was born during COVID. Uh, my mother, who's 80 years old, haven't seen her yet. I want to make sure my mother sees your daughter before she dies. You know, that kind of stuff. And so we have a guest today, Bill, who, when it's all talking about family and leadership and everything, she is phenomenal. And it's just interesting that she is a leader. Well, I'll I'll say that. I'll let you go ahead and introduce this guest. Well, no, she's a leader in in a traditional male organization. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's been that way for a hundred and some years. Uh, the leadership has been, and uh, we're talking about the Boy Scouts of America. And uh, we have the honor today of having Chastity McReynolds on, who is the first assistant chief scout executive in the Boy Scouts. And she's in charge of the philanthropy department as well. I think she was a district executive, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and we're just, and I've met her through scouting and we've developed a relationship from the standpoint of helping each other in our particular jobs. So you got another friend, Bill? You, you, I thought I was your only friend. So. Well, I only have two. Okay, two. So okay. she's Oklahoma she's State University. I think well, she was a journalism and broadcast major. So yeah. she's going to talk about this Big Ten. We don't know. You, this is ACC country. We don't even know what Big Ten means. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, watch Ohio State. I'm Ohio State guy. Well, you know, I, 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 I okay, let me leave that alone. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because all I know about Oklahoma State University is, you know, you had that great running back, Barry Sanders. And right now, man, think about it. Um, Oklahoma State University is possibly going to be in position to be the national champion. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's unbelievable. Well, listen, let's bring Chastity in. Chastity, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm very, very pleased to be here. I appreciate the invitation. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, listen, the uh, why don't you fill in a couple of the blanks? Because I didn't do your full bio. So uh, you went to Oklahoma State, correct? I did. I went to Oklahoma State University and uh, was fortunate. I was the first person in my family to have the opportunity to go to college. So that was a very proud thing for us and uh, had a scholarship, uh, mostly academic. I did run track for one year there, graduated with a degree in journalism and communications and uh, went to work for the Tulsa Philharmonic for about six months and 
that was an interesting time and I had a really interesting boss. And uh, I went over to the Boy Scouts, didn't know a lot about scouting and pitched them, you know, an opportunity for scouts to come to the Tulsa Philharmonic and learn about, you know, earn merit badge requirements and do this or that. And when I finished my pitch, they said, do you like your job? And I said, no, I work for the meanest woman in Tulsa. And they said, wow. <laughs> they said, you need to come and work for us. And so I looked at their executive board and I thought, wow, this is a lot of really interesting people, uh, just a really broad group of board of directors. And I thought, well, I'll go do this for a year or two and figure out what I really want to do with my life. And, uh, to say I drank the Kool-Aid could be an understatement. That was 25 years ago. Wow. And I started, you know, at the beginning level as a district executive in Tulsa. I was there for almost three years. And then we moved to Dallas. I worked for the local council, Circle 10 Council, for about 12 years. And then I've been at the national office uh, since 2010. Very yeah. blessed to be in scouting. Yeah, thank you. And we're blessed to have you. Uh, now, when you went to the national office, did you go into philanthropy then? Was that the position? I did. So they started uh, an office of philanthropy and it was primarily started uh, to develop the Summit Bechtel Reserve. That's when we decided to um, buy that tremendous property in West Virginia and develop it. We knew that we would need a significant effort on major multi-million dollar philanthropic gifts. And so I was the first development person that they brought in. And um, and so the rest is history, I guess. So you say I was the director of that department after a certain number of years and then have been the chief development officer for about almost a year and a half now. Yeah, folks, if you don't know what the Bechtel Summit Reserve is, you can Google it. It's a phenomenal camp that we set up. Uh, it's one of our high adventure camps. And actually, there was a podcast earlier with Patrick Sterrett. He talks about it, but it's open to the public at certain times. And if you get a chance, if you're up in Beckley, West Virginia area, call ahead of time, get an appointment. They'll give you a tour. It's, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal place. It is, Bill. It's one of those places you could talk about all day and you could mm -hmm. even look at pictures, but until you're there and see just the phenomenal assets that are there and the ability to really develop um, young people and their values and their character through transformational programs, it's truly an awesome place. And it was really, you know, what I love about my job is I get to be on the cutting edge of a lot of innovation for our organization. And so getting to develop a site like this that was truly purchased, you know, to host our jamboree, but also purchased as a laboratory for scouting so that we can make sure that our programs are relevant so that we can develop things as a national organization there that can then be re replicated in our local councils across the country to make sure, you know, we're offering the very best programs that we can that are attractive to families today. Yeah. And just, I just want to dimensionalize the camp. When we do our jamborees, we could hold up to, I think, 45,000 kids and probably 20, 10 to 20,000 volunteers. Mm -hmm. So it gives you some dimension. I think it becomes the second or third largest city in West Virginia when we have our jamborees. It does. It's exciting. And that second largest city comes to life within a 24 hour period. <laughs> the volunteers are there, but then just bus after bus rolls in in like 45 second increments and drops scouts off. And it's truly a logistical challenge that's fun to witness and see because the city, you know, and when you have that many people, you have to have medics and you have to have a bank and you have to have all of that infrastructure to really run that for 10 days. And so it's a it's a really interesting uh, thing to watch and, and witness. Well, Chastity, this is Odell, the good looking black guy. Question for you. If you had to put a total, how much money have you raised for the scouts since you've been there? Oh my goodness. We've raised about $600 million for the Summit Bechtel Reserve. And before that, you know, you could say another $5 million or so because I was raising smaller gifts and local councils through the years. So it's it's been, you know, raising money at this level is more about legacy and it's about connecting people that are that are that want to further their legacy through their values and making sure programs are available to young people. And so having the opportunity to do that has just been a dream come true. Never when I was in college did I think I would be doing this when I was 48 years old. And, uh, you know, I feel God puts us in a place for a reason. And, um, and it's, it's a calling to some degree. And I just have fun every day with, with what I get to do. 
you know, it's interesting because your title, and correct me if I'm wrong, Executive Vice President, Chief Development Officer at Boy Scouts of America. So when you look at it, how far away are you from the top seat? And if, if, if you are ever offered the opportunity by the board to consider sitting in the chair, the top seat, would you consider it? Sure. So right now I report directly to the CEO and who is also referred to as our chief scout executive. And uh, he's wonderful. And I've learned so much from Roger Mosby in that position. He's not that mean boss you had, huh? That mean <laughs> boss you had. from a long way from there. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but uh, I, like I said, I feel like as chief development officer, I have a very, very important role in this organization. And I'm very happy with where I am and the impact that I feel that I can make. Now, if at some point the executive board came to me and they said, Chastity, you're the person that we need to lead this organization. Certainly, I would consider that with a lot of prayer <laughs> and uh, and just knowing that that, again, I feel like we get put into places for a reason. And so if that's where my journey takes me, then I would certainly embrace it if it was the right fit at the right time. That's great. That's great. The, you know, I was going to ask you a couple of questions. One is I know you and I work together on the Polaris Method. And uh, folks, just to explain what that is, that was a program that was developed to change the business culture of our uh, consoles uh, to make them more efficient and uh, and kind of lean them out, if you will. We use some lean business practices, and we we had Insignium, an agency, help us with that, and uh, we went around and trained. And I know you were trained as a as a coach. Absolutely, it was a, it's a, been a fun project to be involved with, especially when you have an organization that has you know more than 110 years of history. When you talk about culture change, the Polaris method really provided a good opportunity for us to question things that we've always just taken for granted in the past to make sure that we were really doing the right things and looking at things from the right business perspective as we moved forward. Yeah, that's great. And you know, when we, we, when we were, I was trained as a coach with you and uh, we had to pick four projects. I think they set up four projects for us to work on to be certified. And you probably did the philanthropy one, right? I did. Yes. I signed up for that. And then uh, uh, they, they drafted me to work with the supply division. And, uh, I, so I switched, I crossed my, I was kind of hoping to be able to do that, but I said, well, can I, can I do two? And they said, no. So, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't get a chance to work with you on that. That would have been fun. Do you well, remember- we missed you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, do you remember what your project was? Yeah. So we looked at, it was really interesting as a national organization, the Boy Scouts of America as an organization nationally had never placed a lot of emphasis on fundraising because you know their local councils are out raising money in their community. And as that need has changed and we've opened up to these very large gift opportunities, um, we needed to centralize fundraising for our organization and look at how we were running those processes. And so that Polaris project allowed us to do that and look at how we were communicating with both our internal audience as a national organization, plus to our 250 local council affiliates and uh, look at those business processes and methods. And uh, it really made a, a big difference. And what was really neat about the project is it wasn't just the people raising money. It had people from different areas of the organization. And so we had really good impact that helped us make good decisions and establish some really strong processes. You know, Chastity, one of the good thing about it is that money, I always say money is a tool, T-O-O-L and not a toy, T-O-Y. So you raise millions and millions of dollars. However, not however, excuse me, the leadership, your leadership is what's more important than raising money. So when you start thinking about when you had opportunity through Polaris to look at yourselves, I look at scouting, I always go back to scout reach or Bill gave me an opportunity to travel to Philmont and I had no idea what that was about. And after going there, wow, now I, now I know and major gifts. So leadership, you are a leader. You are a leader in a traditional male dominated uh, organization. If I'm not mistaken, a male led domination is not the right word, but that's the word that came to me. So if it came to me, I'm going to put it out there. How do you survive in that environment because maybe just maybe is a lot of cigar smoking bourbon drinking uh major gifts and how how do you survive 
because I believe you're fighting for scout reach and you can explain to our audience who don't know what scout reach is all about. And, but at the same time, the legacy of Philmont, that's so important because you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and also major gifts. So I know that's a Odell Cleveland type question, but <laughs> here it is. There's a lot there. No, it's been, it's been really interesting working for the organization since 1996 and the way the organization has evolved to be much more open to women and making them successful in scouting. You know, it was, it was much tougher in my earlier years. Um, but like I said, it's just the culture has really changed to embrace, embrace women and to make us successful and to, you know, do the things. It's important that we have that diverse mindset, especially I look at our management team around the table and we need people from different backgrounds and different perspectives so that we can make the right decisions for the organization. And that's become a very valuable piece of our success. Uh, <clears throat> when you think of, um, of raising money, it is a lot about leadership. And I consider what we do in fundraising part of my personal credibility and commitment to donors that we do exactly what we say we are going to do with that money that there's clear and transparent accountability and reporting back on the success of that money uh, i have a phenomenal team that i work with that comes from a myriad of background and experiences and we really leverage those resources to make sure that we take good care of our donors and we really are furthering something that's important to them personally Personally, Filma uh, is. It, it, I'm so glad you were able to go there, Odell. It truly is a magical place, and you can almost feel it when you get on the ground. Yeah. And you think about kids going out for ten days with their leaders in a backpack, and they go on this trek and this journey. And it's that all sounds fun, but the reason we do stuff like that is it provides the grit and the things that are important to these young people to really believe in themselves and have that self-confidence to be contributing members to our society, to be the best that they can be for themselves and their family, but more importantly for their communities and the people they're involved with every day. So Philmont, all four of our high adventure bases provide these unique opportunities to really develop that in young people through transformational programs. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of that and watch it take place. Fantastic. Before you address Scout Reach, let me just clarify. Now, I went to Philmont as a tourist. I didn't go hiking up to the tooth or anything like that. Uh, I went with Bill and we kind of did the luxury route. We stayed in the cabins and all that kind of good stuff. So I don't want it to be said Odell hiked uh, 200 feet high. Odell didn't do any of that kind of stuff. But Odell understood it. We could make that happen for him. (laughs) I don't know about that, but we'll see. But we did go to the Wild Wild West. But the whole idea on the, um, the scout reach and kind of go from there because scout reach is so important to me. That's kind of how I got hooked into uh, being on the boards and the regional boards and stuff like that. So as a leader, how do you see scout reach and can you explain to our audience what it is and what it's not? Yeah, absolutely. So scout reach is our outreach program to young people who wouldn't be able to participate in the scouting program due to, it could be socioeconomic static status. It could be because some of them are rural scouts, but it's, it's really our outreach program to make sure that we can provide the scouting uh, program to anyone who wouldn't normally be able to participate in that. And that can be in a, a number of areas. Like I said, a lot of it is urban Uh, Some of it, like I said, is in the rural areas, but some of it's just in communities across the country where there are young people who need that. And I've seen Scout Reaches, you know, different councils in different parts of the countries run Scout Reach differently. One of the most uh, successful ones and the one that I've been involved in directly was here in the Dallas area when I worked for Circle 10 Council. And it's actually a fun story. So my first million dollar gift was actually to support the Scout Reach program in Dallas. And I went to my uh, scout executive, my CEO for the local council, and I said, hey, I would like to ask the uh, Crystal Charity Ball for a gift of a million dollars to support our scout reach programs. And they said, oh, you're never going to get that money. That's a bunch of women, all these high society women. (laughs) You're not directly connected. How are you going to do this? And I said, just just believe in me and give me a shot at this. I love when someone says I can't do something. And so we uh, went through this process and it was like a seven step, you know, 
past stage one, then you got to stage two. But the last step of that process was a presentation in front of this group of these wonderful women in the Dallas area. And we had a young man by the name of Danzel that was in the Scout Reach program in Dallas. And Danzel told the story of how when he was a young person, he had a decision to make. And it was a decision to join his local gang who was recruiting him where he could be a part of a group. Or he had a decision. Someone came to him and offered him the opportunity to be in scouting. And he chose scouting and became that part of that group. And then he told this really beautiful story about it was a sad story about his friends who joined that gang and how their life turned out and how he lost some of those friends along the way compared to his journey to where he was, you know, applying for colleges the next year. And he'd, you know, gone to Austin and presented to the group there and all that just had all these experiences he never would have had, had it not been for scouting. And that's the story of scout reach and why it's so important. There was not a dry eye in the room, Odell, those women. Wow. And, and it was wonderful because all of them, not all of them, but many of these women had been impacted by scouting, either through their father, their husband, their son in scouting, or they were a leader at some point with their young people. But Danzel's story um, was amazing and it just hit the heart. And they gave us a million dollars to support the program. You know, it's interesting. I've said that from day one with Bill. Um the fact that I'd rather see young black males in a scout uniform than a orange jumpsuit in prison. I say that all the time and people look at me like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that, but it's so true. It is so true. And you know, Chastim, you were saying that I'm just wanting to shout, you know, Baptist, black Baptist folk, we just say hallelujah. Anyhow, just any reason to say hallelujah and any reason to pass the plate. But since we're not passing the plate today, we just got to say hallelujah. And maybe my Catholic brother over here will say hallelujah also. But another thing, though, your leadership, you got to sit on the front row of seeing scouts now accept females, young ladies, how did that feel? What was the excitement of sitting there? You saw it coming, looking at it, couldn't say much, said all you need to say. And now all of a sudden, here it is. Look at you, Chastity. Look at you. You got a front row seat on a major change in the scouts. Well, Odell, I said, hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been, you know, we've, wanted young women to participate in the scouting program and they have through the years through our exploring and our venturing programs but it was always in an older level but we had young you know cub scouts you know when they go on family camps the sisters always went and they participated but they weren't able to get the awards and things of that nature and so we knew that there was this need and young women would come to us and say please let us um Uh, be involved in the program. And we did extensive research. I remember even back in 2010 on the fundraising side of things, we had this secret mission and we were going to ask for money and we were going to launch this. And the research always came back that if you uh, make the program co-ed, that the young women are so much more advanced, especially at the middle school and high school ages, that they'll take the leadership positions, that it will, you know, set back what the boys are able to do. And so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) So you said the research said that women are so much smarter than men at a young age. (laughs) I agree with that. I agree with that. So, yes, the research is correct. I, I heard smarter. I didn't hear after that. I didn't hear any other thing. And, and I, I, I just got to go next door and talk to my wife. And I know she's smarter than me. So very organized, very planning and some of those things. And so um, so we just always held back and we looked for a solution. And finally, they decided, you know, that we could offer the program to both. But the young women would have their own troops and it just wasn't commingled in that way. And so they would have all these experience and opportunities. But boy, it was always really hard to say, you know, young women shouldn't have the opportunity to earn the Eagle Scout Award and and do these major things that could have an impact on their future. And so opening up to make sure that we can offer this program to every young person was extremely important part of our history. And we have proudly celebrated that. We actually just had our first class of female Eagle Scouts this past year. And just listening to the stories and the pride uh, that resonated through these young women and being that first historical class of Eagle Scouts was extremely heartwarming. And uh, we were excited to do that. And we're even having uh, this next year an event um, called the Women of Character event. And we're hosting it at the Summit Bechtel Reserve. 
But our plan is to bring, you know, about 100 thought leaders across the country that are women who are leaders in their business or their communities together to talk about how we continue to encourage young women in scouting and, and we secure the resources needed to make that happen. Because anytime you start a new program, you know, these young women troops may not have the materials that they need, you know, the backpacks and the cooking equipment and all those things, or, or there just aren't enough female leaders, you know, willing to step up and do some of that stuff. So how we continue to provide resources to make sure that happens. And Christine Perry uh, out of Seattle is just this wonderful scouting volunteer and philanthropist who's leading this effort. And um, we're, we're excited to be able to offer that as well and look forward to the good things that we'll do to continue to further promote young women in scouting. What an exciting program that's going to be. Wow. Uh, you know, I went to a court of honor with six uh, female Eagle Scouts here. We had six of them in one unit and uh, they all worked together and, and uh, helped each other. And, uh, and the maturity that I saw with those young women was phenomenal. And, but more importantly, there was about 40 other women, younger women below them that were looking up to them saying, I want to be like that someday. So there, it has started. And I think the adding, uh, changing our membership that way is going to propel us in the future to grow and become stronger. And uh, so I, I've got, I'm excited about it. I remember when I was on the culture team, we were trying to figure out how to change the culture of the Boy Scouts that, well, we talked about bringing women in there and, and uh, we talked about, uh, about a whole day and uh, pluses and minuses. It was interesting, different people's perspective. A bunch of guys in the room. Bill? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. There's, right. I think we had, uh, we had two women, maybe three. Okay. Most of them were guys. And uh it, it, it was interesting. Uh, it, later on, I found out that uh, some of the scout executives that were on our committee had already started doing it with the permission uh, just to test it, to see if it worked. What were some of the dynamics uh, that led into some of the decisions you, you, you said about, hey, we got a, a female unit with a female leader and a male unit with a male leader? Because I, I got the pushback from the Redcoats that Oh man, you can't have Bill, a what's a red coat? What's a red coat for our audience? Well, they're affectionately known as uh people that don't like change. Okay. Okay. And I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. And uh, but so they they particularly weren't really in favor of it, uh, because it, and rightfully so. I could see where they're saying, Hey, we don't want a female leader running with boys and vice versa. That kind of sounds like the Baptist church, the black Baptist <laughs> church. Uh, wait a minute. Wait, I thought we were talking about scouts. You, yeah. you, you talk about the black Baptist church now yeah. who don't want female leadership, even when the quality of that leadership has been proven and there. So shame on well, us. Let me ask you, does the Baptist church allow female pastors? Yes. Yes. At oh, one really? time we didn't. Yes. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Yes, wow. definitely. Definitely. We, hey, listen, it's, we're coming up, man. We're coming wow. on up. I'm impressed. Thank I you. Be you should Baptist be someday. Just okay. Come on over. So, yeah. but the black part, we'll work on that. Yeah, we'll work on that. Well, how long's your service? That's how I judge my religion. Well, okay. <laughs> well, we're now up to about an hour and fifteen minutes. Oh, that's quick. Yeah, but don't come to a black funeral though, unless you have a prominent person. Because bring your lunch. Oh yeah, pack a lunch. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. We go down bunny trails. That's good. Where were we? <laughs> well, we were talking about female Eagle Scouts, but I can just tell you one important thing. When I think about myself and, you know, I've been a scouting professional for 25 years, but I had my own son in the scouting program and it was really interesting. I, I found a great troop for him to be in. And I would reflect on the fact that, you know, through these years, I've talked about how great scouting is. But when I watched my own son sitting with his scoutmaster, who was Gary Scott, one of the greatest scoutmasters in the Dallas area, and they're talking about the scout oath and the scout law and what each of those points, you know, the boys are talking about what each of those points means to them personally. And it was just such a heartwarming experience. Like this program works. And as parents, you know, as moms and dads deciding what your, your young person or your child is going to be involved in, I always wanted the thing that I thought was going to give them the leg up on being the best adult that they could be and being a successful person. And Boy Scouting really does that. And I was fortunate my son uh, achieved his Eagle Scout Award. Congratulations. Now you, have to, you have to get your, your Eagle Scout Award by your 18th birthday. 
right? And he waited 17 years and 364 days <laughs> to get there. <laughs> but he did it. <laughs> Surprised you don't have gray hair. <laughs> we were driving to that meeting. I thought, please, Lord, don't let us have a wreck. Just don't uh, let us have a wreck. <laughs> no, no, no cushion in this deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it has been one of the most valuable experiences in developing him into this strong, you know, he's in college right now. He's actually at Oklahoma State University, which it's so fun to have your, your son at, or your child at your alma mater. And um, he's just developed into this really confident young man that I know is going to make a positive difference in the world. And that's been a tremendous blessing. Wait a minute now. Is your significant other, I don't think he's Oklahoma State University, right? So the way you said it, what happened (laughs) to the other half? It makes it even better, Odell, because I've got, we're two against one in the house in our, when we were together and uh, OU versus OSU, that's a big, uh, those are fighting words. And in, in when you're from Oklahoma and uh, we just had that bedlam game. And I will admit, I did some form of a moonwalk across the living room. A we moonwalk? Were oh, oh. <laughs> so you were really feeling good once you all won. What did your husband say while you were moonwalking? Oh, it was fun. Yes. And my son was at the game and so it was just, it's, it's neat when you have a second generation celebrating with you too. Yeah. Those rivalries are so good they're, yeah. and they're healthy. But you know, uh, Bill, what, one thing too, which she mentioned that, you know, the Boy Scout oath and promise, and, and as the audience know, I wanted to get into Cub Scout and everything, but we just couldn't afford it. So my younger brother was able to go for a little while. And that's why Scout Reach is a big, big deal to me. But, you know, the Boy Scout oath of promise says, own my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to obey the Scout law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awoke, and morally straight. And the Scout law says a Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, courteous, kind, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And and see, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. Who wouldn't want to be all those things, Bill? Well, you know, we we had an issue in uh, Greensboro with our uh, school access in our schools. So we took a bunch of scouts and uh, volunteers and we went to the board meeting and, you know, we were polite. We just wanted to voice our concern that we couldn't recruit. And uh, I got up there and asked me to speak. So I I spoke for a little bit. They give you a time limit. And I I saw I was getting near the end. And I said, you know, I'm going to finish this with something that will give you an indication that if you can get all your students to do this, I think we'll have a better school. So I asked all the scouts and scouters to stand up and repeat the scout oath and law. Wow. And they did it from memory. Wow. And then I walked away. So you dropped the mic. Black folks said that's dropping the mic. Yeah, I dropped the mic. That's dropping the mic, baby. You're dropping the mic, baby. I don't know, but I liked it. So, so Chastity, are you doing any traveling or they got you grounded? Uh, I, I was in uh, Phoenix last week and Las Vegas last week visiting with a couple of our donors who have given significantly to scouting. And so it's definitely uh, slowed down for a while, but I anticipate that'll pick up in the next year, especially, you know, as vaccinations increase and travel increases and we have the safety measures in place to make sure that we can do that and be productive. I anticipate it'll go up. Well, next week, uh, I am going to be in Denver at the Denver Council, no, two weeks, teaching them the Polaris Method with Remove. Nice. And then uh, I think we're going to be, uh, they've, they've kind of delayed because Remove's moving out. Uh, so we're, we gotta, we'll talk offline about that. But one question I had is, we want to get Rex Tillerson on this show. So I need you to... Uh, you mean the Rex Tillerson, the man, the man, the man? Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a he's a he's a loyal scouter, and uh, so we'll see if we can network through that somehow. Yeah, and- absolutely. Rex is a wonderful, wonderful man and scouter, and believes in this program through and through, and is a tremendous advocate. And so I'd be happy to help um, provide the information so that he may you know take you up on that invitation. Yeah, if he's available, we'd love to have him. And uh, the uh, I sat with him out at Philmont. We did a week out there in June and him and I had breakfast for about an hour and a half and just a fascinating man. I, I, there's a book called Rage by Bob Woodward and uh, it talks about Trump and all that stuff. But chapter two 
is entirely about Rex and how he became Secretary of State. Fascinating story. Uh, a global businessman that knows people personally from all over the world. Yeah. And he's a sport too. You look at him, always dressed nice, hair is nice. You know, he's just one of those guys. He's got a beard now. Oh, okay. So yeah. he's just one of those guys. His you know, it's interesting, uh, Chassie, you talk and Bill has a great friend he introduced me to by the name of Don Brady. And Don was one of these individuals who loved scouting and he did so much in the whole gifts and the legacy. Bill, can you talk about our friend Don a little bit, please? Sure. Don Brady has five Eagle Scouts in his family. Uh, two of his sons and then his grandsons. And he loves scouting. And uh, Don and I became friends through a, another mutual friend, but we didn't really know each other other than, you know, he had a, a pretty large corporation. And uh, so I invited him to lunch. Uh, I actually ran our council for about six months while we were in transition. So I invited him to lunch and we're having lunch. And uh, he says, what, what do I have the honor of sitting with the council president for? And uh and I said, well, Don, I, I just wanted to get to know you. I said, you've got a bunch of Eagle Scouts and you show up at events. And, and I, I think it was somebody we should get with. So we got done and I picked up the check and he was stunned. He said, that was the first time in scouting somebody's picked up the check for him. <laughs> but, but we started going to lunch once or twice a month and he became a second father to me. He passed away last year uh, and I was with him the day he died and the day before he died. Mm. And good friends with the family, but we were doing a capital campaign and we had a, our new scout executive brand new, maybe a month. Uh, Don says, Hey, I need to go to lunch with him. I got, I want to talk to you guys about this capital campaign. Cause he was going to be the chair. And uh, I said, okay, so we go to lunch and uh, I, the scout executive, I said, I think Don's going to make a starting donation. And uh, he says, well, how much? I said, I don't ask those questions. They they'll, they'll tell us when they're ready. And uh, so we had, we're having lunch and, this new Scott executive took a big bite of his sandwich and Don says, I'm going to be the first donor. I'm going to give you a million dollars. And I thought the guy was going to spit his food out. <laughs> he said, did you say a million dollars? He goes, yeah, I'll give you half a million this year and a half a million next year. And, uh, and he did. But, but, what did like that. but when you go there to your point, um, you know, Tassie, when we went to see what the million dollars did and the training it allowed for the scouts, that's, that's the legacy. That's what the legacy is all about, Bill. Yeah, it really is. And philanthropists, you know, scouting has typically impacted them or one of their loved ones in their life at some point, and they've seen that it changes people. That scout oath and scout law becomes part of their moral code, and they want to invest. I don't even think oftentimes it's a donation; it's an investment in the young people and uh, making sure that they have the opportunity to have those values you know, inscribed in their moral code so that they can lead our country and our communities in the future. Amen. Well said. Well, we're kind of getting toward the end and we always ask our guest, how do you find common ground? And so that's our question to you, Chastity. You know, I find common ground for a living as a fundraiser. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. And, uh, you know, how I find common ground is I ask a lot of questions and I really try to listen, Bill. And I think people in this world we are talked at so much that when you have the opportunity to really listen and feel them and know what they are looking for and what's important to them, that's where that common ground really starts. And all of us are, you know, brothers and sisters, and there's always something that we have in common or something that we believe in or something that we can learn from one another. And so those tools have been really important to me um, in, in being successful in my career and establishing friendships, you know, in my life. And, um, and so common ground is, uh, I love that it's the theme of your podcast here, because like I said, it just in, provides all these wonderful opportunities for these great conversations to understand people better. Well said, what said now, does that apply to Oklahoma state? <laughs> <laughs> Only when we're playing OU. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's good. You know, Chassie, one of the things too, and I just want to thank you, but when we think about um, Boy Scouts of America, which is a great organization, and I'm so proud to be a part of um, a volunteer way down the line as for a board member and regional board person. However, I feel so much better because you're helping a great organization even get better 
Because when you start talking about the diversity, inclusion, and young ladies coming on board, and just people seeing you as a leader, to Bill's point, other young ladies will look at you and they're like, wow, I want to be just like her. You know, I just want to be just like her. So whether we talk about leadership, whether it's in our families, uh, you're helping to lead a great organization. And I predict, and I know you said, Odell, if they ask me, I would sit down and listen. I would predict that if they ask you, I'm so happy that you would sit down and listen because, wow, leadership is so important today, credible leadership. And I think that America is the best country in the world, and I'm proud to be an American. And I think that the Boy Scouts of America is one of the better organizations in this country. Not perfect, because none of us are perfect. So that's my my thing to you is just, you go, girl. I just want to say, you go, girl. You just keep You just keep being you, because so many other individuals are looking at you and benefiting from your leadership. Bill? Amen. Amen. Well said, Chessie. You're, you're a blessing to the Scouts and She's a rock star, Bill. She's a rock star. She's a rock star. I know. And, you know, we've got our national meeting the end of May next year in San Diego. Uh, and as he was talking, I was thinking maybe we ought to set up a podcast there and do some interviews while we're there that we can put on our show. So let me, it's down the road, but I'll get hooked up with the right people. And maybe we'll just set up a little studio and have people come in and talk. That'd be a lot of fun. That's a great idea. And thank you both for A, inviting me on uh, your show today, but B, just for the encouragement and the thoughts and, you know, that what you explained, Odell, that's a, um, it's it's this beautiful burden at the same time to make sure that we are the, the people that are setting the example and doing the right things for those future generations. And so I appreciate the encouragement and, uh, and again, the opportunity to be here today. It was fun. Thank you. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulating and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved.